Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is January 8th, 2023. Happy birthday, Elvis Presley. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's issues in under an hour. It is Tony in Manitoba. And Lewis out here in BC. How are you, my man? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. The, uh, the snow's all melting. It's going to take a while because it was like a foot and a half of snow on the ground, but it's getting warmer, so that's nice. And you're in Manitoba. Yeah, um, and I probably should explain that because I often do shows from the side of the road somewhere. Um, like a lot of Canadians, I've got a second job, so every odd weekend or at least once a month, I'm heading out in the road delivering groceries to somewhere in rural Saskatchewan or Manitoba. So today finds me in the... Uh, beautiful town of Swan River, Manitoba. All done my deliveries, so just stopping to record the show and then heading back home. Excellent. Yeah, so on the snow front, I just got to, since you brought that up, it's good the yours is melting. Now, I uh, I was actually mis misinformed when I talked about the city of Saskatoon not being interested in residential snow removal, and they're not, but they uh, allegedly there is a policy in our city that says if we have a significant snowfall, meaning over 25 centimeters in quote, a short period of time, then they will clear residential streets. And we had 35 centimeters between Christmas and New Year's. So I guess that qualified as substantial, especially since we already had 55 centimeters on the ground. So that means three feet of snow on the ground. So they finally decided, yeah, okay, I guess maybe we should plow. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's well i mean hey if they plow once that's great <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i mean and really we don't ask for much just uh just, yeah. just send a grader in once in a while we're good so, you, so it gets plowed if you get a big dump of snow but if you but if the snow just accumulates over time nope we're not doing it exactly right yep oh excellent <laughs> yeah they'll do the bus routes and the main thoroughfares and residential streets Nope, you can have that great big uh, drop-off like you were talking about in your Edmonton days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what do we got to talk about today? All right, well, we've got a good show for you today, Canada. On the show today, release the Kraken! Jordan Peterson, cracking up. The affordability crisis, is it a recession? And more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's uh, let's talk about the the big item of the day first, and that's the Kraken. Absolutely, the, and we're not talking about a Seattle hockey team either. No, oh. we're even talking about a Komodo dragon. So, no, <laughs> no. What about, a, what about a sea creature? Not even a sea creature. No. Then what are we talking about? We are talking about the latest variant of the COVID virus. They wanted to call it XB125 or something to that effect, but instead they've labeled it the Kraken variant. And the Kraken. The Kraken. And you're going to love this, Canada. It's making news because it has infected Alberta with, drum roll please, four cases. Four cases. There are but, four but, cases of the Kraken in Alberta. But but the Kraken, I mean, with a name like the Kraken, it must be it must be super deadly. 
you would think that it would be super deadly with a name like the Kraken. Well, Steve Buick, who happens to be a Alberta Health spokesperson, tried to uh, sort of downplay it a little bit by saying, and this is a quote, by the way, we cannot live in a state of emergency permanently or whenever we see an increase in respiratory viruses. Hey, Mr. Buick, where was this thinking three years ago? So it's, so it's not dangerous? It's not dangerous. In fact, uh, the uh, University of Saskatchewan virologist, her name is Dr. Angela Rasmussen, was interviewing with the Daily Mail, which I think they're from England, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But, okay. And um, so she told the Daily Mail that we really shouldn't see any big changes in severity due to our you know, previous exposure and our, our herd immunity. Um, and we're going to talk about that one in a second. Just a quote from her. She said, this variation, quote, is not somehow magically turbocharged to usher in our extinction, end quote. But thank you. Again, where was this thinking three years ago, except on our show when we talked about, hey, let's protect the vulnerable, let everybody else get herd immunity and beat this thing. So, so it's not dangerous. Apparently, she, according to Dr. Rasmussen, it's really not going to be any worse than a cold. Oh wow! So why would someone name it the Kraken? I mean, this is this is right, what right? This, this just gets me. This this oh this frustrates me because we know why they named it the Kraken. They named it the Kraken so that it would scare people, and that this would get people uh you know wanting to mask up again and and get their boosters because you know the boosters are not nobody's getting the boosters even the people that even the people that that told us that we were going to kill everybody if we didn't get our vaccines they're not even getting the boosters anymore and the government has this huge supply of vaccine boosters that they're not that aren't being used and they're going and they're expiring and they're throwing them out. And so of course they're going to name it the Kraken. That's like naming it the King Kong variant or the, um, <laughs> or the, uh, the, you know, the, the Mount Vesuvius uh, variant or something, you know, something horribly scary. Um, and uh but it's just not working anymore like nobody is scared of this thing anymore i mean i i do see i still see people masking up in public they're generally old and that's who should have been you know worried in the first place um the only people that i see driving around by themselves in their car with a mask on are old people um the, it's occasionally that you see someone young doing it and i just chalk that up to you know insanity uh but it's i mean the, the government and the people with a financial investment in this are going to keep trying to do whatever they can to get us to take these vaccines no matter how no matter how dangerous they are and no matter how ineffective they are. I think that's actually a good way to say it. And, uh, and by the way, Mount Vesuvius variant, I like that one. I, uh, I could actually see them using that. That's, that, that, that one's good. 
that's good remember <laughs> that one canada because that 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 came right from this show that's that one's awesome <laughs> but, uh, but you're right i mean from a statistical standpoint uh over 30 percent of canadians now are no longer interested in getting a booster or you know the initial shots if they didn't get them in fact anybody who didn't get the shots period is is definitely not going to get them now well so, i uh, think it, yeah i think that number is actually uh like i think it's 30 percent that have that are not interested in getting a single booster um but the percentage of people that are not interested in getting their like fifth boosters is like 80 or 85 percent like it's barely got any take up at all on the on the current boosters oh i get you okay so that's that's where that number came from okay yeah, cool. there's, there's nobody getting it right now and that and that's got the government um you know panicking because they've got you know hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars invested in all these uh uh boosters that they didn't um use and that they're throwing out right so yeah they're Hey, hey, this, this reminds me like this, just, you remember at the very beginning of the, of the vaccine procurement and we saw them, you know, placing orders for 200 million doses, a hundred million doses. Um, I think they even had one order that was in the range of 250 million doses or something like that. And we were saying, why are they ordering so many? Right? Because there's only 38 million people in Canada. And if everybody gets their two doses, that's less than 80 million doses needed. But we had placed orders for probably a billion doses. And, and we couldn't figure this out at that time. Well, now we know because they knew before the vaccines are even available, they were going to have to give us boosters. But they, but they told us, nope, two shots are done. So, I mean, th that to me proves that they knew even before the vaccines were even released that they weren't going to be effective. Well, that's a good point. And then, uh, so yeah, now they've got all these boosters around and Canadians and Americans as well have all said, hey, this uh, COVID is behind us, Let, let's move on. And yeah, so now they've got all these vaccines and they've, they're expiring and they have sent some into the, uh, was it was it COVAX? Was that the program that was supposed to supply yeah. other nations? Okay, yeah, so they have sent some do doses off to COVAX as well. And yeah, so you're, those, they probably got a big pool of, of vaccines just sitting here going bad. Yeah, but even those uh, vaccine doses that they sent into the uh, the the pool for third world countries, um, even those are being uh, disposed of because they're not going, they're not being used. Um, the whole world has woken up to this. That you know, and, and no matter how much people don't want to admit, like, because you'll never get these people who you know, these, the vaccine Nazis that, that were, um, that were, that were trying to cancel people for saying that the vaccines, you know, that they didn't want to get a vaccine. Um, the, you know, the ones that were telling us that we were going to kill 
hundreds of people, each one of us is going to be responsible for killing hundreds of people because we didn't take our vaccines and stuff like that. Um, they, they aren't getting them anyway, either, but you'll never get them to admit that they were wrong and you'll never get them to, uh, to say, ever say sorry <laughs> for what they said about us or said to us or, or any of that. Or, or called us racist or misogynists because we didn't get vaccines. Like I still haven't quite figured out how that one worked, but you'll never get them to ever say that they were wrong. And, but nobody's getting them anymore because we all know that the, the vaccine or the, that the virus itself has turned into, you know, it, it's less dangerous. It's far less dangerous now than the seasonal flu it's really no no more dangerous than a than a than a seasonal cold and uh um and the vaccines were fairly ineffective and we know that and in fact there's now evidence uh lots of data actually that that goes to show that the people who received three four five and even six doses are being negatively affected in terms of their infection rate by COVID. It's actually, they're actually getting COVID at a higher rate than people who were never vaccinated in the first place. So this is, and, and this is all data, newly released data. Um, and it's not by some, you know, crackpot. It's by really, really well-respected um, vaccinologists and, uh, um, infectious disease experts. Um, in fact, like vaccinologists, the ones that were worth their salt during all of this, they said, you're never supposed to vaccinate in the middle of a pandemic because that, that promotes the creation of, uh, of variants that are vaccine resistant. Um, so, Everything that was done during this COVID, during COVID in the past, you know, three years, every single thing that was done was wrong. And we know that now. We knew that, you and I knew that a long time ago. I mean, you can go back and listen to our shows all through the COVID. And we were telling you what, you know, what, what real experts were saying, because they were being muzzled and they, they were being, you know, uh, censored and everything. I mean, they were, many of them were kicked off social media for saying for, for, for saying the truth. And, uh, but we brought that to you. We were never kicked off because, you know, we're not big enough for anybody to, to worry about, but we were giving you the truth. And uh, so, yeah, it's, anyways, three years of talking about COVID, I'm, I'm starting to really get tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and to wrap this segment up, we'd also mentioned, and we were right, that this virus was highly survivable to begin with. It was uh, 99, was 98.6% survival or 99% survivable. It was ridiculously 99 survivable. 99.5. There we go. Yeah. It's the, the thing is, is that right from the very beginning, like, uh, yeah, it was highly infectious. It was more, far more infectious than the, than the flu. But the flu had a much higher fatality rate than COVID ever did. It just, COVID was far more infectious. Um, now, like, and I, I will say this one more time. 
um, before we move on to the next topic. But COVID is, um, it was highly infectious, of extremely low fatality rate, like extremely low. Um, and the numbers, the, the fatality numbers, the mortality numbers for COVID are not accurate. Dr. Bonnie Henry in BC admitted so much two years ago, um, or a year and a half ago now, she admitted that the numbers are not accurate because the numbers included anybody that tested positive for COVID within 30 days of dying. And it didn't matter what they died of. It could have died from a car accident. They could have died from cancer. They could have died from diabetes. They could have died from old age. Um, but if they had tested positive for COVID within 30 days of dying, that was a COVID-related death. If you notice, everything is called a COVID-related death, not death by COVID. Yeah, death with COVID. So uh, yeah. beware the Kraken because it's actually BS. <laughs> All right. So before we move on to our next topic, um, you had actually been scrolling Facebook last night on the uh, Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights page. And uh, you saw a couple of people gave us a shout out as their favorite podcast. So I uh, thought maybe we could give them a shout out here. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed uh, one of the, one of the members of the CCFR asked a question on the CCFR website, what everybody's go to um podcasts are a lot of people named uh, a bunch of you know firearms related podcasts or american podcasts uh but we but there was a couple of them that named our podcast so listener awesome. yeah so listener merrick um and listener craig uh are two of them so we wanted to say hey thank you um thank you for listening and thank you for uh you know telling others that that our podcast is one of your favorites we really appreciate yeah, it definitely appreciate being your go-to no question so um someone we talked about a lot on this show dr jordan peterson um definitely someone who's uh i'm a fan of he's uh well he's obviously over the target with something again because now there's one more attempt to censor him he's back on twitter and because he is tweeting mean tweets the Ontario College of Psychology is threatening to suspend his license to practice psychology because his mean tweets are supporting Conservative Party leader Pierre Poiliev and our bad-mouthing Justin Trudeau. How dare he? Yeah, how dare he have an opinion of his own? Or that, I mean, since when does he governing body of a of a of a medical practice have a political opinion well and we know the answer to that question it is since government has gotten so heavily involved because it's it's all about the, the funding right oh yeah so but we've never ever before seen a uh like a sanctioning body or governing body for medical practice uh, of any kind show any kind of political bias or political um, opinion. We've never seen like the College of Physicians 
you know, saying that they supported any political party or that they supported or, or that they uh, were critical of any political party. They've always stayed completely uh, neutral and never made a comment on anything political until now. Yeah, that is uh, interesting how they've become much more activist. Uh, in the case with Jordan Peterson and the, the Ontario College of Psychology, they have now told him that he must, must, um, what, what, I even wrote this down here. Must, must, yeah. He, he must uh, submit himself to social media training or else he faces the revocation of his license because apparently you're not allowed to uh, express an opinion that is contrary to that of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau if you are on Twitter. And uh, Rachel Gilmore, who has really become a caricature of herself and of, well, quote unquote, journalists everywhere, tried to take a shot at Dr. Peterson. And uh, well, he shot back that she really should do her homework and be better informed before she attacks him and then refuted what she had said. So I, I yeah. thought that was that was kind of funny on uh, on his part. So at least he's paying attention. But this is ridiculous. Again, and this is what we had talked about with C-11 and even with the Freedom Convoy is that they're guilty of wrong think, or in this case, Dr. Jordan, Jordan Peterson, wrong think and wrong speak. How dare you criticize Justin Trudeau publicly? And honestly, he hasn't practiced psychology for years. I mean, not since the whole compelled speech thing came out that made him prominent in the first place. So really, I, I don't think they're, uh, they're going to damage him at all if he refuses. No, he, he suspended his uh, clinical psychology practice back when, when his, his fame took off uh, back in 2017, I believe it was. And he, uh, he hasn't practiced psychology uh, in a clinical setting since then. Um, but it's the, it's the, the, it, it, it's it's the the uh, oh what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it, it's it's just the the uh, importance of being able to stand up and say what you want and not face any repercussions for it, you know. Um, and that's what he's fighting for. And that's, I mean, it's the principle, right? That's the word I was looking for. Principle. It's the principle of it all. He might not need that medical license but someone else will right like there's another psychologist that will need to keep his license and you know feel free to be able to say what he wants or she and uh but if they don't have that right to be able to express a personal political opinion uh then you're going to have an entire industry of professionals that have to tow a government line. And these are, and that's wrong. That's just wrong. That's, that's, that's indoctrination. That's re-education. Um, like, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say re-education camps, but who knows, right? I mean, <laughs> if they're saying that Dr. Peterson has to attend uh, a uh, social media education class. I mean, 
that's essentially what it is, is a re-education camp, right? I mean, there's no two ways about it. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's straight out of 1984. It's like, we don't don't like what you have to say. So you're going to come to a government, you know, run program and learn how to do this correctly. I mean, how scary is that? Yeah, exactly. And uh, well, you're really not far off the mark because should he refuse to attend this social media training, he would have to appear before an in-person tribunal with the Ontario College of Psychologists to, I guess, to plead his case and, you know, ideally uh, appeal the suspension of his license. And so Dr. Peterson said, you know what? I will submit to that in-person tribunal if you make every single word of it public so that everybody can hear what was or read what was said in the tribunal. Of course, you know that the the uh, Ontario College of Psychology won't do that, but uh, I love that Jordan Peterson is standing his ground. And you're right. He's not just standing his ground. He's standing the ground of the next person who stands on principle. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you, you phrased it that way. That's exactly what he's doing. Well, then that's the thing, right? Like Jordan Peterson doesn't need this license. He just doesn't. I mean, he's made multi-millions since 2017. He's extremely wealthy now. Um, He has, I mean, if he ran out of money, all he has to do is just go on another tour, uh, another speaking tour, and he'll, he'll be, he'll fill his bank account again. Um, He, he doesn't need this license. But he, but he's fighting it on principle because, because what other psychologist in Canada do you know by name? I'm gonna say it's probably zero. I mean, Jordan Peterson has to has to stand up for the rest of the people who don't have a voice. I mean, he has a voice, and and his voice is heard around the world. So he right now he is making the Ontario College of psychology look like fools around the world. And and that's why this is important because some psychologist from Timmins, Ontario, who speaks up and says something and then they threaten him or her, won't have this at their disposal. They won't have, you know, Barry Weiss writing articles about it or Matt Taibbi writing articles about it or uh, it being put on Australian news or anything like that, or have Canadian common sense talking about it. Um, this is something that only Jordan Peterson can do. And that's why it's important that he does it. Um, he has, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use foul language, but I'm going to, it, it might sound a little crass. Um, he has FU money. Like he can just say to the College of Psychology in Ontario, yeah, F you, I don't need you. But he's not doing that. And that's why Jordan Peterson is highly important and highly respectable. You might not agree with everything he says. I know I don't agree with absolutely everything he says. You can't. You can't possibly agree with everything that somebody says. Um, But what he's doing is extremely important 
and extremely respectable. And I, you know, I salute him that it's, it's, he, he will fight this. He will win. I mean, no matter what he wins and, and people in Canada will win because of this. Yep, that's true. And uh, to wrap the segment up, I do have to, to say that this whole fiasco is the result of, and I have to quote the article I read, about a dozen complaints worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> a whole dozen people in the whole world decided they didn't like his mean tweets. So the College of, because... College of Ontario was there for them. Yeah, and it's funny because <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you look at it, a dozen complaints... And there's probably hundreds of thousands, if not a few million people who, who hate Jordan Peterson as much as they hate the devil himself. And there was only a dozen complaints. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's got to tell you something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so let's move on to our last topic for the day. This is going to be the most exciting one. And we're right on time here. So fantastic. In one of his year-end interviews, our Supreme Emperor, Justin Trudeau, told uh, Donna Friesen that 2023 is going to be a tough year. It's going to be tough. And that's why I'm still calling for a spring election in 2023, because if even someone as dumb as Justin Trudeau has figured out it's going to be a tough year, it's going to be a tough year. So he's going to want to get ahead of that and get his fourth mandate before it really gets bad but um yeah. what do you know as soon as justin trudeau said it's going to be a tough year suddenly the mainstream media is admitting that we're in a recession i know for for a fact that you had mentioned that mm, in the fall i'm gonna wait in the summer oh no wait last year in the spring we were talking that a recession was coming and okay. you saw it in your own business in later in the summer when suddenly COVID support started drying up and suddenly you were getting job applications again. It's yep. here, folks. It's actually here. Yep. No, it is. And we've been talking about this since last spring that a recession was going to happen probably within a year. Um, and you can go back. You can listen to our shows from last spring. You will find that what I'm saying right now is completely true. Uh, we were saying that this, you know, uh, almost a year ago that, that a recession was, was imminent. Um, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that blowing out the, the federal government spending, the provincial government spendings, municipal government spendings, um, household spendings, that it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that if you blow out all those budgets, that you're that all that that money dries up and the spending stops um you cannot run an economy based on government spending you just can't and that's what we've been doing for the past three years is the economy has been running on on covid spending um and now the government's run out of money I mean, it's, it just has, I mean, they doubled more than doubled the federal deficit or sorry, the federal debt in, you know, in just three years, they more than doubled the national debt. 
the provincial governments have all increased their debt loads uh, dramatically over the past three years. The civic governments have increased their debt loads. I know, I know my, the town I live in right now is, is contemplating building a $50 million pool for a town of 12,000 people. Like, why? Why? Why would you do that? Like, it's going to add $1,000 a year to, to every single property tax bill in the city. I mean, why would you do that? But they're doing it. And that's like, they're, they're trying to do it anyway. I mean, I, I have a feeling that people are going to vote it down um, when, once they realize that, you know, it's going to cost them a thousand bucks a year. Um, but still, why try it? I mean, the town I live in is already, you know, $23 million in debt for a town of 12,000 people and they want to add another 50 million to it and you know that that won't stop there because it's it's not the only project that that they want to do they they want to borrow money to do other projects too and but the pool i mean those those projects never stay on budget and then you've got the inflation rate right now going up you know 10% a year and you've got you know, it's going to take two or three years to build this pool. You're going to end up with, you know, a, a bill at the end of the day of probably closer to a hundred million. So, I mean, this is the kind of stupidity that goes on in government of all levels. And then you've got household debt on top of that. And I mean, we saw at before Christmas and we put, we said it on this show back in early December before, um, before I left on holidays um, that many people, I, I can't remember the percentage, but I believe it was over 50% of Canadians could not afford Christmas presents. Yep, that's right. And then uh, you look at the, the Canadians who have got the variable rate mortgages and we know that's not a huge portion of them but now they're being asked to pay more because now the the payment they were making is no longer covering the interest and yes the real estate market is cooling somewhat in toronto and vancouver but prices are still out of control you've got younger folks who can't even afford to get a condo so they're living either with their parents or in some crummy basement suite and uh here's a figure i just i drummed up yesterday I shouldn't say drummed up, found. Uh, the, far, the most recent data we've got is for November. Uh, business insolvencies are up. And we knew this was coming too. BC is actually the hardest hit. Up 32.5% uh, year over year from November to November. Ontario is at 15%. National average is 17.5% increase in the rate of insolvencies. So... You look at any downtown and you see, oh, hey, Restaurant X never reopened when they shut down with COVID. Oh, look, yeah. Mom and Pop clothing store never reopened. Oh, hey, this uh, curling supplies shop never reopened. And yeah, those are the job creators, folks. So uh, the only reason that we're being saved from massive job losses is that they were having a hard time filling jobs in the first place. But we, we, and again, this is something that we had said too. Insolvencies are going to be on their way up. Personal bankruptcies are going to be on their way up. We haven't seen as many of those yet, but I mean, those, uh, those always follow businesses because 
Well, when you don't yeah. have a job, it's pretty easy to file bankruptcy. Yeah, when you don't have a job and yet you've got 20 grand on your credit card, um, it, it it doesn't take long, right? I mean, it's that's the problem. That's the problem that we're that Canada's facing right now. And I mean, it, I I feel it in my own house too. I mean, it's you know uh, we were. Let's see. I mean, my my wife and I. Uh, the money we make does not go nearly as far as it did three years ago. Um, I mean, it was three years ago, we actually could save a lot of money. Like we could just sock it away, just sock it away, just sock it away, throw it into RSPs and throw it into TFSAs and all of that. And now we're struggling to be able to put that money into anything. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy how quickly this has happened. And that's got me very scared about what this year has in store. I mean, if Justin Trudeau is saying that it's going to be a tough year, then buckle up because it's going to be much worse than just a tough year because he always likes to sugarcoat how bad things are going to be um, because, you know, he's responsible for it. So he doesn't want people thinking that it's worse than it actually, or as bad as it actually is. Well, I'm here to tell you guys, it is way worse than he says it's going to be. Um, a tough year yeah okay it's going to be it's going to be a hellish year um, for a lot of Canadians um, this is it's not going to be good I mean the thing that I don't understand is that the interest rates have gone up so high that uh, I believe that a mortgage right now is going to cost you about six and six and a half percent for a mortgage for a five-year closed um, my mortgage is at 1.74 that's how much the interest rates have changed in a year. Um, and I've got three years, yeah, three years left on this mortgage at that rate. So, I mean, I'm good for a little while, but I don't see the rates coming down very much by the time my, my mortgage is up for renewal. And I've already figured it out. I've already figured out it's going to cost another, another $1,000 a month. Like, where the hell do I come up with that? Right. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm going to have a kid in university at that point. So it's like, I, I don't know where you come up with that extra cash. I mean, this is, and because of it, even with that, like houses here are still selling. Um, not nearly as fast as they were and not the, no, not how, not really houses over a million dollars, but those houses that are in that, the high, the high like $800,000 range, they're still selling. Um, and I don't get it, but I mean, where I live, 800,000 is not, it's not really a fancy house or anything. I mean, that's, that's just a average bungalow. Um, so, I mean, like when I, when I, when we built our house, uh, it was, you know, almost half that. Like the housing prices have pretty much doubled here in three years. So, um, well, maybe not three years, but in since we built, which was seven years ago. So housing prices have pretty much doubled in that time. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just crazy with, that things are still moving. Like the market is still moving and I, and I don't understand. And it's, it's uh, cause I don't know who the hell can afford this right now. 
Yeah. Well, and your timeline is actually bang on. I mean, Pierre Polyev has said that since Justin Trudeau's reign of terror began in November of 2015, housing prices have doubled across yeah. Canada. So you're you're right in line there as far as your own uh, neck of the woods goes. So yeah. you and I were texting yesterday and we were talking about the government in general. And yeah. like I was saying, yeah, you know, there's, you were talking about the, you know, the, the mood in the air and there is, there is a tension in the air in Canada. And I, uh, I attributed it to that people are starting to wake up and they want change. And I think that's another reason why Justin Trudeau is going to call a spring election because his handlers are probably going to say, yeah, you know what, do it now before it gets really bad so we can squeak out another win. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I, uh, I had a good talk with Maxime Bernier just before Christmas and I wasn't able to record it because I messed up on our end. So unfortunately I, you can't listen to the interview Canada, but we had a really good talk. And the one thing that I had, said to him and he agreed with and he had said that was you know part of his criticism of Pierre Polyev is that I said conservatives are way too quick to tell Canadians we can manage your bloated crappy government programs better than the other guys can and while that's true that's not the answer we need right now the answer we need is to fire everybody and start again with something that actually works and I don't know that the will exists politically, but I think Canadians are starting to realize that, hey, man, what we're doing isn't working. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Our, you know, the bureaucracy in in Canada is so bloated and so expensive. Uh, The federal government is the number one employer in the country. Uh, And that should not be the case. Um, It should never be the case. Uh, We've got... I mean, and we've talked about this on the show before. We talked about it last fall, how the employment numbers are very misleading um, because they, it, the, the government is, is going on and on about how uh, they've recovered 105% of the jobs lost during COVID. Uh, that... You know, now it's like they've, they've recovered all the jobs that were lost, plus 5% more were created under their watch. They're not wrong. The problem is, is that they're the ones who created the jobs in government agencies. They're not in the private sector. So you've got tax dollars that have to be increased, like taxes have to be increased and they are being increased. They've already increased CPP and EI on January 1st. They're increasing the carbon tax on April 1st. I've always loved the fact that it's on April Fools. Um, And then the, uh, uh, there's a second carbon tax being increased and, or being implemented, I believe in June or July. July, yep. July. And so taxes are going up to pay for all these wages and health benefits and, you know, something that nobody else in Canada gets anymore is a pension uh, for, I I believe it's over 300,000 new federal government employees. And I believe that number is actually right around the 315,000 mark. 
That's how many jobs the federal government has created in the past year and a half. So, and those jobs are all with the federal government. And I believe that the number of private sector jobs in Canada is a fraction of that. It's in like the 30,000 job mark, uh, range. Like it's not that high, right? Um, but the thing is, is that that, sh that number should be at best reversed. It should be 315,000 private sector jobs. I mean, there shouldn't be any federal government jobs. Let's, let's put that out on the table right now. There should be just zero new jobs with the federal government. I mean, it's already too big. It's already too bloated. Uh, it's already this big machine that, that is highly inefficient, highly wasteful. Um, and it just needs to be torn down completely and rebuilt. Um, the problem that I brought up to you yesterday was that I feel like there's this tension in the air. There's a, a, a feeling of discontent and hopelessness in the air. Uh, everybody I know is burnt out. They, they all hate their jobs. They uh, feel like it doesn't matter how hard they work, how much they try to save. It's not enough. It's never enough. And they can't get ahead. They can't. Uh, they're having a, a more difficult time every month of actually putting food on the table or paying their monthly bills. Um, there's, there's just this, I, I just feel like we're living in a tinderbox that it just, it's ready to just explode at any, at any moment. Um, and I mean, this is something that I've said, I've been feeling for a while, but it's, it's really, I just feel like it's, it's like, it's so thick in the air that you could just cut it with a knife. Like, I don't know anybody. I don't know a single person right now who thinks that things are going well. That, well, that's a good way to say it. I, I, I can't say that I know anybody either who thinks that things are going well. Nobody's happy with the inflation rate the way it is. And of course, government is always trying to find somebody to blame. Oh, it's it's Loblaws, it's the grocery giants, and it's greedflation, yeah. as Jagmeet Singh would say. And I think the Canadians are slowly starting to say, you know what, we're not buying your BS anymore. And yeah. government is the cause. And they're trying to be the solution and they're they're not i mean you and i both know bureaucrats are very good at justifying their existence bringing in more bureaucrats and they're really running the show right now so i'm i'm dead serious when i say it and max bernier actually committed that if he was prime minister he would fire everybody in the civil servants that actually burn it to the ground and rebuild it which is what we need and i don't know if Pierre Polyev is the man to do that, but I sure as hell hope so because he's the only one that's got a shot at beating Justin Trudeau. Yeah, I mean that's the problem with Canadians, right? We're we all know that the system isn't working the way it is, but we all don't want to we we don't want to uh, have a different system. I mean, and and, and uh, the healthcare system is a perfect example of that. Our our healthcare system is broken, like it's really really 
friggin' broken. Like it's, it, I think it's ranked last in the G7 for uh, outcomes, timely access, all of that. It is last. We're behind the US, we're behind Britain, we're behind Germany, we're behind everybody. We are last in terms of healthcare delivery. And, but nobody wants to, it's like our sacred cow. You, you can't, you can't make any changes to it. It's political suicide, but it's, but we all know it doesn't work. I mean, how many people can't find a doctor? I mean, how many people are waiting for months on end for surgery? I mean, cancer treatment, you can't even start cancer treatment right away. You have to, you're, you get put on a waiting list. It takes six, or no, I believe it's now eight weeks in BC to have a cancerous tumor removed. You, you, they know it is cancer. They have done a biopsy. They know it is cancer. It takes eight weeks for the operation to get it removed. I mean, this is, this is third world country level of healthcare access. I mean, this is, this is horrid. In fact, I think Mexico has better healthcare access than we do. You, you can get to, you can see a doctor much sooner. You can get operations much sooner. All of that. I mean, it's, our system is so broken. And yet anybody who proposes a change to it, forget being elected. Yeah, and that's the funny thing, and because uh, I actually heard uh, Dr. Elizabeth Smart in an interview with Roy Green yesterday, and finally she's singing the song sheet that I've been singing from for over 20 years, and then she's finally saying that we really need to look at our delivery model and ask if you know if government really is the answer for for all for delivery of services, and she said we really need to to harmonize and not be afraid of hybrid models like they have in some European countries. And I thought, yeah. finally, at least somebody who's got a, a reputation is, is, is starting to speak with some common sense. And it's, uh, yeah, well, I mean, look at, look at a couple of the, uh, experiments that have been done in BC and Alberta. Um, Alberta had back in the, uh, before the UCP, before the NDP were government. Um, I can't remember who was premier at the time, uh, but they had a backlog of uh, uh, hip and knee replacements that was, I believe in the vicinity of 18 to 20 months. And the, B the Alberta government contracted private surgical clinics to take care of the backlog. And I believe it was within six months, there was a two week waiting list. And then they immediately canceled those contracts. And when the NDP were um, elected, they banned, they banned private surgical clinics. And now Alberta has a waiting list for hip and knee replacements of like, I believe it's two years. So it's like that worked, it worked. And in the level of care people received at those clinics was much higher than they receive at hospitals. The, 
uh, in BC, uh, I believe it was Shaughnessy Hospital in Vancouver, uh, where they had an MRI machine that was only being used 12 hours a day. Um, a private clinic contracted the use of that MRI machine to run it at night. And so then they would get patients to come in, pay for their own MRI scans and come in at two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning to get their MRIs done. When the public, general public found out about it, there was such an outcry that the health authority canceled that contract. And all of those people that were taken out of the line that were taken out of the queue for MRIs because they were paying to get it done in the middle of the night, were now all back in the queue and made that wait even longer. But everybody was happy because now everybody's suffering equally. Nobody's getting ahead of the line or anything like that. But guess what? When you take people out of the line, you shorten the line for everybody else who can't afford it. And when you put all those people back in the line, that line gets longer and everybody has to wait longer. Like, I don't understand this mentality that Canadians have that everybody must suffer equally. I mean, if you, if you can get your line shortened up because someone else has the financial means to take themselves out of that line so that you can actually get treated sooner, what's wrong with that? Why is that so evil why is that so bad that people would rather suffer longer in pain or suffer longer with cancer or suffer longer with uh the inability to walk because your knee or your hip is shot like i don't understand this mentality and canadians have to change this mentality because this is a uniquely canadian attitude yeah it is and it's really uh a uniquely Canadian problem, with, especially with with the, with the healthcare thing. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, and right now, Canada, it, uh, you, you said it right, we are all suffering equally because of the economic conditions in this country. And, well, uh, that tension you're feeling in the air is people starting to wake up that, yeah, we are all suffering. And, I mean, Justin Trudeau said it right, we're all in this together, but he didn't realize he was talking about we're all suffering together. Yeah, I mean... Like and that that whole the whole uh, feeling in the air that I that I feel every time I go out. I mean, it, there's so many things that contribute to it. Like nobody can get healthcare. Nobody uh, nobody can walk down the street and feel totally safe anymore because the crime has skyrocketed. The homelessness has skyrocketed. The uh, their level of their own personal level uh, debt loads have skyrocketed their tax bills have skyrocketed their food bills have skyrocketed their mortgages have skyrocketed everything is so out of control right now that people just have this sense of hopelessness and and unfortunately that's going to lead to more crime it's going to lead because people are going to commit crimes out of desperation and and it's going to lead to you know i mean the, the food bank, the food banks are screaming for food because they're setting records for the number of people using them. And that's, you know, these aren't records that we want. I mean, 
the records we want broken are the ones where they go, yeah, we have nobody use us this month, but but we're not. We're it's record number of Canadians are using food banks. I mean, I don't, and and I said this to you yesterday in our text messages. I said, you know, it's too late. People are waking up to this, but it's too late. The the if even if Poiliev and the Conservatives win an election, if it was held today, it's too late. They can't stop this now. Um, they might be able to slow it down, but they can't stop it. The the and you and you said to me like it's the whole machine. The whole machine has to be torn down. And and I and I agree. It's not just uh, you know you cannot fix this. Keep the federal government or even provincial governments operating the way they operate. This has to be a complete teardown of our governmental systems and rebuilt. And they need to be rebuilt in incredibly uh, efficient ways. Like we cannot have so much bloat, so much waste. I mean, the I don't know how you fix it at this point. Yeah. Oh, I don't either, but uh, we'll let you chew on that one, Canada. We're just coming up on our time here. And yeah, I mean, this is a system that's beyond broken. So uh, it's time for us to take a good look in the mirror and say, hey, it's, it's, it's time to, to start over. Just, it's just that simple. Yeah. And, and I, I'm sorry for being such a bummer. <laughs> well it's, it's we, how we like to end our shows yeah we like to, we like to we like to you know disappoint everybody at the end of our shows and and make everyone you know go oh god we're doomed like, yeah. <laughs> all right canada we'll leave it there release the kraken <laughs> all right, good night, thank canada. you for joining us canada that's uh tony in manitoba and lewis out here in bc good night good night canada <laughs>